Thank you, Jerry. Good morning again. Uh, <clears throat> I think it's becoming one of my favorite parts of the week when the little procession of kids leave uh, during Lady Prayer and just follow like the little chickens behind whoever's leading them. Um, and, you know, you add to that kids that you can hear praying the Lord's Prayer, sort of leading us. And, I mean, what more can you ask for? So give thanks to the Lord, for, for He is good. Um, children can pray the Lord's Prayer in church because they know that they're beloved, right? They know that they are chosen. They know that they belong. They know they have a place. Like, what do they have to be afraid of? They know that they belong in a family, and they're beginning to learn that they belong in the family of God. I remember my earliest lessons of belonging that I'm familiar with. Now, I know there were many formative experiences before this, but I remember the late elementary playground or the schoolyard. And this for us, you know, was K through six all together. And so it was about three blocks from where I grew up. We'd walk to school. And then when we got in second grade, we got to ride our bikes to school. And it was a big deal. And so I'm thinking along about fourth, fifth, and sixth grades that I remember this time. It's experiences like, J.D. Knauer and I colliding on a deep pass and his teeth going into the top of my head. And it got blood on my Troy Aikman jersey. And that was the bad part. You know, the head, the, the hole in the head was a minor problem. The blood on the white, remember when Dallas used to wear those white uniforms? Oh man, I had the Troy Aikman jersey. Dadgum J.D. ran into me. Um, I remember carrying my Sony Walkman out by the fence and listening to Young MC, okay? Y'all remember Young MC and Bust a Move? This was along about 1988, 89. Uh, I have no idea why or what business I had listening to Young MC uh, as a, well, you can picture me as a fifth grader. But anyways, um, I don't know why I was doing that or why we had Walkmans at recess or why I was walking around by myself along the fence listening to sort of music. These are some of my earliest memories of the experience of being not chosen. All right? And maybe you get chosen. Maybe you're the last one chosen, right? You pick teams and you line up and it just begins. And we, we learn at an early age that this is part of how the world works. Uh, if you can't perform out here, you're not going to get picked first. And that's just the hard lesson of life. Being chosen is a defining experience for every human being. But it's certainly something that's celebrated in the experience of being a Christian. If you came in these back doors, the sanctuary entrance today, you walked by the baptismal font. And, you know, a lot of churches are set up that way, where the only way that you can come in is one way, it's in the back, and there's a permanent baptismal font there for you to walk by. And the idea is that every time you come to worship, you remember where you started. And what your defining characteristic and identity is in the family of God. It's not primarily what you or I can offer, but it's primarily who we are. And that we are God's children. That we have come through the waters of baptism and we belong. We have been chosen. Now for the next three weeks, we're going to meditate on the idea of coming to the Lord's table, communion, uh, some traditions call it the Eucharist. And the word Eucharist is a Greek word for thanks or thanksgiving. Eucharisto. And so we are looking, that's where we get the word. So thanksgiving, uh, we're giving thanks in the celebration of coming to the Lord's table. 
And this movement of Eucharist or Thanksgiving and communion is kind of a fourfold pattern. And we get that fourfold pattern from the New Testament. When Jesus in the text that Jerry read for us or in other Gospels too, Jesus took bread and then he blessed the bread. Then he broke the bread and then he gave the bread. So it's a circular movement of being taken, being blessed, being broken, and being given. And so the same movements that the bread undergoes, we as the body of Jesus undergo those same movements. We first are taken out of the world. We're chosen by God. Eventually we are blessed in the process. We are broken, made an offering as one of the ways that Christ is appealing to the world. So we are given as an offering. And so today we're going to talk about the first one of those things, which is just taken, being taken, being not, not the movie, not, not like the Liam Neeson thing, uh, but, you know, being taken from the world, chosen and appointed with our task. You can picture yourself in the hands of Jesus. You know, just like you can see Christ holding up the bread, picture him sometimes holding you, holding me, having taken us, having chosen us, having surveyed the landscape of what was available and very intentionally choosing me and choosing you. I love the text where, where you know, the disciples are there and they're like, man, we've been doing this. this we've been busy. We've been ministering to these people. It's getting late. They're getting hungry. Uh, the football game's on. You know, can we get the company out? Can we stop the day so we can get on with the things that we want to do so we can kind of relax? They say, uh, Jesus, you know, send them out so they can go get something to eat. And what does Jesus say? He says, you give them something to eat. And they're going, well, what do we have to offer? What can we possibly do? And so he invites them to consider what they might have at their disposal. Well, we've got a little bread got a few fish, and there we have the stories that we're so familiar with of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 men and, and their families. Parker Palmer comments on this reality, and he says, you know, it's like the disciples are wanting to do, they're just wanting to continue business as usual, to send the people back to the marketplace where they'll have to buy food like they have to buy food every day. And here Christ is in his new kingdom that he's bringing on the earth, and he's saying, I have a different way that I'm going to feed my people. And I'm actually going to use you guys, you unlikely fishermen and tax collectors and all the, all the bit, and, and I'm going to feed the world through you. The whole concept of taking 12, choosing 12, and choosing all these other disciples, and then beginning the church through that meager, humble group is a miracle. So the body of Christ, when we celebrate communion, we say the body of Christ broken for you. Uh, it's, it's the body of these, these simple elements of bread and wine are, they're ordinary things, but we declare them through God's blessing, the body of Christ. It's a biblical example. Also, we are ordinary people, and we are referred to in the New Testament as the body of Christ. And we're going to really look at the that in detail in the third Sunday of our series here, the, the week of Thanksgiving. But for now, just the body of Christ and the body of Christ. It's the same, you know, we, we have the body of Christ here, and we are the body of Christ. It's this ongoing mystery. Both places, in both examples of the body of Christ, it's important to remember that Jesus is the one that initiates. Right? Jesus takes the bread, 
And Jesus takes us. Jesus chooses the ordinariness of the bread, and he chooses the ordinariness of you and I for his mission. In order to display his love to the world, he has chosen us. And I like to think, you know, that Jesus is surveying and has surveyed the whole world. He knows the world better than anyone else. He created it after all. Right? Colossians tells us in, in Christ, through Christ, for Christ, everything that we know is created. No one's more familiar with possibility than Jesus. And yet he chooses you and he chooses me. So it's not an accident. It's not for lack of options. It's just a sheer gift. He chooses us. He chooses us for his work. The choice can be trusted because the survey is comprehensive. The whole reality of being chosen is sort of a distinctive to Christianity. And many other religions, we have to end up doing the heavy lifting. You know, we do the initial choosing and searching and looking and going and finding the gods, right? They're out there to be discovered, but they haven't come near. And so everything we're doing is trying to reach out and find out if, whether or not we belong or what we have to do in order to belong. And the Christian reality is that Christ has come to us. He has come and lived, he has come and lived among us and has chosen us. He began the good work in us that continues today. He started it. And he will finish it. We were chosen. Before we ever accomplished anything in God's kingdom or accomplished anything in the world, we were chosen by God. We belong. I started to make this about, well, you know, women have an easier time with this part in particular. Men have a hard time with this. But I, I don't I don't think so. I just think it's comprehensive. I think we all need those affirmations. And so Jesus is with his disciples in what we call in John's gospel the farewell address. You know, chapters 13 through uh, 17. Jesus is saying adios. Like these are his parting words with his disciples. I'm going to be gone. And so I'm letting you know the things. I'm. These are your parting instructions. Like when you go out of town and you leave your kids the list of things. This is what I'm. This is what needs to happen. And this is what you've got at your disposal when I leave. But Jesus was returning to the Father, and in the middle of that address to his disciples, he reminds them, he says, now don't forget, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I don't get to thinking that you, this was your idea, and therefore that the weight of the world's on your shoulders. I chose you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and I provide the funding for the fruit. I provide the resources for the fruit to grow. I am the vine. Don't worry. You are chosen. I've chosen you. And you can trust the work. You can trust your dignity. You can trust what I've appointed you to. It's me. It was my idea. There are many people in the world that have testified after a lifetime of great accomplishments that even after all those great accomplishments, I just wasn't, I still just didn't have it. I still wasn't happy. I still didn't have joy. I just didn't have, I, you know, it wasn't complete. I'd accomplished everything in life that I set out to do, and I just didn't have it. Uh, from very recent to all the way back to, uh, I love the story of St. Augustine, which you can read about in the Confessions, and many of you maybe had to read for high school literature, but, you know, here's Augustine who was the most gifted orator in 
North Africa. I mean, he, he was there, uh, and, and anytime they needed someone to sort of put the smack down, you know, in any court or any situation, they called in Augustine because he was just amazing with words. He's sort of like an attorney, sort of like a public addresser, and he could just shred you to pieces with his words. He was brilliant, he was educated, and nobody had a mind like he did. He was well known throughout the territory, and the guy just did everything. But underneath and inside, his life was just miserable. And he writes about it, he talks about it, just how empty he was, which allows him in sort of his memoir to say, you know, just in praise to God, God, you have created us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Because he knew that. He knew that I accomplished everything in life I set out to accomplish, and I was still restless. My heart was just scampering around to find its home. And he said, our hearts are restless until they rest in God. And finding God, recognizing that he had been chosen by God, that he could respond to an invitation, changed his life. Changed his life. So at the end of his life, he was bragging about that and not all the things that he had accomplished. Accomplishments do give us gratification, and they give us dignity, right? We should seek to accomplish those things. We talked about that when we talk about work, that work has dignity, and we should work hard, and we should use the gifts that God's given us for God's glory to do the best we can and accomplish all that we have in our hearts to do, that we feel called to do. Work brings great dignity. Our accomplishing things, the raising of kids, the doing the stuff that we do, great, great dignity. However, accomplishment will never accomplish belovedness. Accomplishment can never accomplish the reality that you and I are chosen, beloved by God. The only way that we ever get that and learn to live as though that's true is receiving it as a gift from God. We might say that there's an entire book of the Bible that's kind of one that we keep at arm's length, uh, the Song of Solomon, Song of Songs, that really uh, makes a lot of hay out of this theme. I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. Remember the old praise song we used to sing in the 90s? I am my beloved, and he is mine. But he brought me to his banqueting table, and his banner over me is love. It's like blu it's blushing lyrics because uh, literally to be read that way, it's it's about lovers that are speaking to one another. And and we have appropriated that in the church since the church fathers saying this should be in our Bibles because God's love is a beautiful, reckless thing that we have to wrestle with. Uh, I remember in a worship class one time, we had to read some hymns and letters by some of the early American Methodists that were kind of in the Baltimore area and it was a group and they'd get together and they would write songs and they would do things. And it is it, it made me blush sitting in class, the way that they would sing to God. And I thought, now that's just over the top. That's just ridiculous to think about God that way. But even when it was a little over the top, it was challenging to me because I thought, you know, of any person that we should sing about that kind of love for us, it's of the love of God. One of my favorite parts of the premarital counseling experience, uh, which is just a hilarious experience uh, for, for all of us, you know, at any time we go through it, uh, and uh, because we just know so little, right? We know so little. We pretend we know so much, and we know so little. 
so we get there and we're talking and I love to walk through the service. I love to walk through the vows. And if couples want to write their own vows, that's fine. You can write your own vows. But we have to do these vows too. Because one day you will forget the vows that you wrote and you will remember these irritatingly ever-present vows that we just can't get away from, like I'm stuck with you till I die. Those kind of things. And I love just walking them through the reality of the reason that we say vows is because we're going to want to run off sooner than later. right? I choose you even though I don't know what I'm getting myself into. And hopefully, you know, after years and years, I'll still be able to choose you, but it's just, you know, it's a rough deal. And so making that connection between I choose you because of because you're beloved, because you're my beloved, not because you've already become a great wife to me or a great husband to me, but because I'm eliminating options. <laughs> I'm choosing you. And, you know, that's Christ is doing that with us before we ever fail or succeed. He's saying, I'm choosing you. I'm taking you out of the world to be my chosen people. When I was in uh, junior high, so a few years after uh, young MC, uh, was still a teenager in transition, you know, learning how to, whether or not I was beloved, reaching in every place that I could. One of the places I remembered as I prepared this sermon was the back room of the RNF Steakhouse in Clovis, New Mexico. Okay, now don't think steakhouse. Just don't don't think steakhouse. It wasn't really a steakhouse. It was a diner. It was the RNF diner and they put steakhouse on there because you could get a steak there if you really wanted to. Uh, but uh, the RNF diner was open at some ungodly hour and it was the appointed place when we would ship cattle. That's where all the cowboys would gather. Before that, you know, you'd feed your horses and you'd load up in the trailers and you'd go and you'd stop at RNF on your way to the county line area and you'd have breakfast. And I remember the first time I was invited to that breakfast with those guys. And I mean, I walked in and I don't remember ever ordering breakfast like that before. Maybe I have, but I don't remember it. I remember looking at the menu and realized that they weren't looking at menus because the waitress already knew what all of them wanted. And so I was the one holding the menu, trying to figure out. But there was something about the fact that they invited me, and they sort of slapped me on the back and said, get this young man some coffee or whatever he wants for breakfast. And I was thinking, oh, boy, here it gets started. So before I had a chance to do a really good job that day or do a really poor job that day, they had chosen me. They had welcomed me in. And they said, "You, we're going to cast our lot in some manner with you. Before we have time to get anything right or get anything wrong, there is Christ. There is Christ choosing us, marking us with his sign, with his peace, saying that we belong, that we belong to God, and we have a place in the world where he has appointed us. I want to close this morning uh, as we approach the Lord's table with a quote from Henry Nouwen, and it's a little long, but I'll just read through it, and so you can see it there. Uh, his book, The Life of the Beloved, he takes a moment and kind of walks through, from his perspective after a lifetime of ministry, what it looks like to be chosen and taken, to be blessed, to be broken, and to be given. And this is one of the things that he says about being taken or being chosen. 
the greatest spiritual battle begins and never ends with the reclaiming of our chosenness. Long before any human being saw us, we are seen by God's loving eyes. Long before anyone heard us cry or laugh, we are heard by our God who is all ears for us. Long before any person spoke to us in this world, we are spoken to by the voice of eternal love. The greatest spiritual battle that begins and never ends. I just love the framing of it. He just comes out and says, this is the greatest spiritual battle that we face. It's claiming our sense of chosenness. Claiming the reality that we belong to Jesus. So we might ask, how do we do that? I mean, how do we claim our chosenness? How do we claim our takenness in a world where we're so dislocated, in a world where we're surrounded by so much rejection? And so many voices that would say, you're quite the opposite of chosen. And uh, one of the things Dallin says is that we, the first thing we do is surround ourselves with truth. And we surround ourselves with truth. And obviously we do that in the Christian scriptures, but we do it with friends and family, people that can affirm us and say true things to us, that can override the voices in our head to say, you're not enough. You haven't accomplished enough. You haven't been enough. You will never be enough. And so on and so forth. Surrounding ourselves with truth. And then the final thing is uh, gratitude. And we're going to talk about gratitude more uh, as we continue in this series. But um, now it says that we, we constantly have to uh, celebrate our chosenness. We constantly have to give thanks for this because it's fleeting. It's always wanting to get away. And so anytime we have a chance to pause and give thanks that we are chosen by God. And when you read those passages of Scripture, that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. When you read those passages in the Psalms that David says, you saved me. You rescued me because you delighted in me. We should take those to heart. Imagine Christ. I don't want to, well, maybe I will. So, you know the Lion King theme, the Simba, it's Simba, right, that holds the, he's a proud baby, he holds up there, you know, before the whole company of the jungle. Uh, I imagine Christ, you know, holding the bread before all the people, just eyes glued to him. And I imagine Christ holding us up, holding us in his hands, displaying us before the world and saying, these are my chosen people. But these are my people that I love. And these are the ones through whom I'm going to change the world. Behold, my hands and feet, my body, right? my eyes and my ears. None of them can be removed and the complete body be visible to the world. All of them unique. All of them necessary for the work that I want to do. As you consider your place in this world and your location, having been taken out of that world, chosen by God, remember that Christ is familiar with the options. He didn't choose you because there was no other option available. He chose you because He delighted you and because He loves you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.
Amen.